Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a great show lineup for today. As usual, we're going to start off talking about college savings plans, 529 plans, and the mistakes to avoid. And boy, I've had a lot of experience with this over the last seven years with my three kids going through college. And uh, so I can speak from personal experience. There are some pitfalls you have to be careful of. This is a really important savings vehicle for parents and grandparents, for their kids and the grandkids. So you want to listen to this. There are some interesting things here you need to avoid when it comes to college savings plans. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about a a Dave Ramsey topic. Pretty interesting. Um, A little different. Had a tip in all situations. And, you know, most people, um, the the common tipping, um, you know, thought is at restaurants. um, And, you know, 15% is kind of what I think has been ingrained in people. But we're going to go through a lot of different situations and how you should tip what makes sense? What's kind of fair, um, you know, from a, a, an industry or market standpoint? Obviously, it's a personal decision, but um, it's pretty pretty helpful uh, tips on this. Yeah, that'll be a good one. I like that. And by the way, I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. Also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals for over 25 years with planning. We're excited to have you listening to us on our show today, our weekly show. We're up every Friday um, on our podcast right off our website. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net, and um, it uh, actually links you to um, to our, our main company website, investroya.com. But uh, money, moneymd.net is specifically the podcast, so we have all of those shows listed on the right, and you can click on them, and you can go to a, another page that has much more um, shows from a historical standpoint and also categorizes them as, as well. So easy to listen to the Money Doctors. Yeah, you can listen to all our old shows there. You can also reach us by email. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John... Um, you know, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the IRS, Internal Revenue Service. Interesting um, stat. You know, um, the uh, deductibility of mortgage interest um, reduces individual income taxes by $77 billion per year. Wow. And of note, Canada and Australia do not allow this deduction. So, well, quite frankly, I think they got they have it right. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I'm not a big fan of that deduction because I mean it encourages debt. It does. You know, why it does. should we have deductions that encourage debt? We want to encourage positive behavior with our tax system, and that should be savings. I mean, if you're going to give a deduction, it should be for savings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe interest should be tax free. Yeah, I guess the home ownership, you know, the security, the um, you know what it what it does for a family, you know, having long term. There is some wealth that can be built from homeowners, but I agree with you from a sure. from a um, from a debt standpoint. It does encourage debt, and um, we saw that get us in trouble <laughs> about about right. 10 years ago with the real estate bubble. They were giving out mortgages to anybody and everybody, regardless of your income, and it blew up. Right, exactly. I mean, debt is not a good thing. Um, I mean, it stimulates the economy, sure, but I just think, uh, you know, we shouldn't be encouraging people to take on more debt. And I see people with enough cash to pay cash for their house that that'll keep a mortgage on it just so they can get the tax deduction. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very fin- smart financial move in a lot of cases either. So 
Um, anyway, interesting fact of the week, so we'll save the political banter for later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does lead us up to our first topic here, and that is the 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 529 college savings plan mistakes to avoid. Um, yeah, this is an article out of person, uh, Bottom Line Personal, Catherine Flynn. And, you know, I mean, 529 college savings plans are a great way to save for your child or your grandchild's college while getting some very significant tax breaks. But with these accounts, it's easy to make some big mistakes with these plans that will reduce your savings, force you to pay a tax and penalty, perhaps, or cause you to miss out on financial aid. So there's some very common mistakes here we're going to take a look at in 529 accounts. And we're going to take a look at how to avoid those because these are really important. So the mistake number one is you assume that any 529 plan will do or you don't investigate your options. So you're not really choosy about which plan you use. Well, first of all, every nearly every state sponsors its own 529 plan, which allows you to permanently avoid income tax and capital gains tax on any investment profits that you get inside the account for qualified and that's used for qualified college costs. However, there's also significant upfront tax benefits for using your own state's plans in many states if you own the account. Um, in South Carolina and Georgia are two states that mm-hmm. that includes. But you are also allowed to invest in other states' 529 plans if you prefer, and sometimes that's the best option. Yeah, so if you do live in a state that offers a significant state income tax break on contributions to its 529 plan, you know, it's probably best to stick with that state's plan, but you can choose any plan out there. Um, you know, if you right. live in Texas, you can choose Tennessee's plan. Um, based on the funds or some other reason maybe that's important to you. But here in the CSRA, I mean, South Carolina and Georgia, they both offer tax breaks, right? So, you know, you have to qualify, and it's very easy to qualify for most folks. So, you know, sticking with the the local state um, usually makes pretty good sense in this area. It does. It does, because at least South Carolina and Georgia both have good plans. So you want to stick to your state if you qualify for that deduction, which – you, know, you probably certainly would in South Carolina um, if you live here. An uncommon type of, of plan, though, one exception to that is known as the prepaid plan. Generally, it's an option to only in-state residents. And most people don't opt for this the prepaid plans, um, even if they are available, uh, because they tend to be very restrictive using the plans to kind of steer students to enroll in specific state university systems. Um, so conventional 529 plans are far more flexible, and money saved in those can be used at essentially any college in the U.S., plus many foreign colleges. So, but um, but you know if you're in one of those prepaid plans, you can only go to college in that state and use those plans. If you shop for out-of-state 529 plans, lean toward plans that offer low expense options um, with strong track records. And among the best states in those plans are California, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, uh, Nebraska, Nevada, New York, Utah, and Wisconsin, according to savingforcollege.com, who rates and uh, provides a lot of information on 529 plans. But it's not too late to change if you've already invested in one of your own state's 529 plans and then you realize that it might not be the best option for you. 
Um, you can make a you can make one 529 rollover per beneficiary in any 12 month period without generating any tax or penalties. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's a that's a mistake that you want to make sure you understand, no doubt. For sure. Uh, the second one here is um, you're not the student's parent and you withdraw money for college payments from your 529 account early in the student's college career. This is uh, this can unintentionally undercut the student's financial aid. Um, you know, if a student's grandparent or maybe uncle or anyone else other than the parent withdraws money from a 529 account, the college financial aid system treats the money as untaxed income for the student, even if it's appropriately used to pay for college. And the more income the student has, the less financial aid he or she is going to you know, receive. So, you know, the person withdrawing the money, because these are typically set up as a custodial type of accounts. Right. Yeah. And one workaround for this, though, John, is if the parents are able to cover expenses for the first two years, um, then non-parents like grandparents, they can wait to withdraw the money from their 529 plans accounts until the student's final two calendar years of college. Um, a student's financial aid in any given year is calculated off of using the family's prior prior tax year. In other mm-hmm. words, like 2015's tax return affects the 2017 financial aid, um, for example. So if the non-parent, you know, if the grandparents, if they wait to the final two calendar years uh, that the student is in college, the income from their 529 shouldn't affect the the student's aid at all. So that's a good way to get around that. Another option for grandparents and non-parents is to put money in 529 accounts that are owned by the student's parents, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than in their own name. Because the financial aid system uh, will consider that money that's in the parents' names um, to be their assets, uh, which has a very small impact or a lot smaller impact, we should say, on financial aid than the student's income. Um, you know, contributing that way could cost the non-parents a, a state tax break on the 529 contributions, and it means the non-parent loses legal control over those assets after they're contributed. Um, you know, so, and there are a small number of plans that don't accept third-party contributions to a non-parent account. So um, you have to keep all those things in mind, but that's one workaround for that problem. Yeah, here's another mistake. As a parent or maybe other person claiming the student as a dependent, um, you can take excessive advantage um, or you do take excessive advantage of a 529 plan while getting education-related tax credits at the same time. So this is a tricky tax mistake that people make. So if you, you know, if you claim an education-related tax credit, such as the lifetime learning or maybe the American Opportunity Credit, the tax law requires that you subtract the education costs covered by that credit from your qualifying education expense when you when you determine how much you know to withdraw from your 529 account. So if you fail to do that properly, you know you're going to end up owing some income tax and a 10% penalty on a portion of your 529 withdrawal. And it's it's really easy to go wrong here because counterintuitively, the amount you need to subtract from the 529 withdrawal can actually be greater than the actual amount you receive from the tax credit. So as an example, if the credit is is 20% of the qualifying education expense up to two grand, you know, you need to subtract the full $2,000, you know, used to support the credit, not just the $400. I know that's very, very confusing on all this. You got to sit with a CPA 
you know, when you're doing your taxes in this 529, because this stuff is, it is, it seems easy on the surface, but there's a lot of details in here. Yeah. And that's one of the beefs I have against 529 plans is I think from a tax standpoint and filing your taxes, it's way too complicated. Mm, I agree. I mean, you got to keep all those receipts and you got to, you know, it's got to be a qualified withdrawal and then you have to prove it and you have to file it the right way. And I've gotten audited two out of seven years on it mm-hmm. um, with a paper audit. I've had to prove that my expenses were qualified. So it's been a pain. It really has um, from a tax standpoint. I wish they would simplify that system, but uh, it is what it is at this point. Another mistake, though, you can make is to withdraw money from your 529 account for expenses that will not be paid until the following calendar year. This is another one of those tricky tax traps that you can fall into. Yeah, I mean, don't withdraw money in December to pay for spring's term tuition unless you're certain that the money will be paid to the college before the end of December. Mm-hmm. I mean, better yet, I would have it paid directly to the university. Right. That's a lot cleaner yep. system. The only problem is it takes a couple of weeks for the money to get there, mm-hmm. and then you're late on the payment. payment. I had that happen one time. I've run that in, into that twice, yeah, you know, so where I've had to call them up and say, what's the problem? Why can't we get the money there faster? You're at the same state. You're mm-hmm. state-sponsored plan. You can't get an ACH going directly to you electronically and their answer is no so <laughs> were, you, were you polite i was very polite because remember very we had that segment last I, week about having you i got know. the result i wanted okay good and that just is checking. she waived the fee she waived the 75 dollar right. fee so i was very polite just in getting to my end result i got a frantic call from danielle saying hey my tuition hasn't <laughs> been paid and um you know that sent me into spiral yep. it's like what yeah. happened and the same thing happened so yeah, yeah, yeah we've right. both been there we have both been there, so don't do that. You know, if you're qualifying expenses that you're you're paid during the calendar year or less than the amount withdrawn from the plan that year, the IRS will insist that you pay a tax and penalty on the withdrawal, even if the excess is used to pay for qualifying expenses in the first few days of the following year. So don't fall in that trap. Um, another trap, another mistake to fall into is withdrawing money from a 529 to cover the cost of students' travel to and from campus. It's kind of intuitive. You would think, yeah, commuting costs should be covered, but unfortunately, money would can uh, would it can be drawn for a whole bunch of things: tuition, fees, room and board, books, computers, computer-related equipment, internet access, but not for travel or commuting cost. So don't try to take it out for that. And then another mistake here is you assume that you can't withdraw money to cover the student's housing and food costs if the student lives and dines off campus. Well, that's also not true. You Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. Off-campus housing and food costs are covered. Um, They're qualified expenses up to the amount that the college charges for on-campus room and board as long as the student is enrolled in the school at least half-time or more. Yeah, so that's a good one. That, that's that's a significant cost. It is very well. significant. You definitely want to use that one. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, um, another one here on the list is um, uh, the missing beneficiary mistake. And this is really one of the worst mistakes you can make in a 529 plan. You, you pay a tax and a penalty if you liquidate all of or part of the 529 plan because the beneficiary doesn't go to college. Uh, maybe they drop out of college or the college ends up costing less than uh, what you had saved in a 529. So liquidating a 529, is that's not the only option. Um, and it's usually not the best option when um, the 529 can't be used for college. You can instead use a 529 savings to send the beneficiary to a trade school 
Um, or maybe you, you change beneficiaries and you let someone else, a sibling, use it as well. So there's some other options than just cashing it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can even pass it down to a grandchild, mm-hmm. and I have some money left. That's what I eventually plan to do is pass it down to grandchildren um, in our plan. So, yeah, you can leave the money in and uh, pass it down later. So that's a great thing. And you're not, you you can leave it in as long as you want to now. It's not restricted by age, like 35 or 30, like the uh, Coverdale Education mm-hmm. Savings Account is. Um, and some good news, though, if you do pull money out of your 529 plan for non-qualifying expenses, only the portion of the withdrawal that comes from the gains in the plan will face income tax and the 10% penalty. The original money you put in the deposit in the account will not be taxable um, or penalized. And so if your 529 beneficiary earns tax-free scholarships as well, uh, you have the option of removing money from the account in the amount of the scholarship um, and using that money for non-qualified expenses um, without paying the 10% penalty, although you will have to pay income tax on the earnings if you choose to do that. So, um, yeah, very interesting uh, pitfalls that you can fall into with um, 529 plans. So I think those are some very important things to look out for. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is uh, certainly time that that uh, kids and grandkids are graduating from high school and college. Right. And, and sometimes they're fortunate enough to receive some money. So the question is, is my child received $1,000 um, from parents and grandparents for, for graduating college? What should they do with it? And it's a great question. Um, you know, it's a teaching moment, really. Um, yeah. $1,000 is a significant amount to um, to a young adult. And so I, I would just kind of go through the principles. Um, I would set up an emergency fund. You know, if it's a high school student, maybe a hundred bucks. If it's a college student, maybe maybe two or three hundred. Um, and also, um, you know, maybe an investment account. Um, if they're sure. working, they could have a Roth IRA. If they're not working, they could do a, a brokerage type of account. Put mutual funds in there, and it can grow over time. So it's a great introduction to the stock market and the wealth building process. And, and number three, have some fun with it, right? Go, go take a piece of and go take a trip sure. or go buy something. But, um, you know, sure. think about it in bucket approach. Yeah. Spread it out in the buckets. I like that <laughs> approach, you know, invest some of it. Um, but you know, have some fun with some of it and maybe use some of it for something constructive, paying down debt if they have debt. Yeah. Um, so those are all good. And if you work, fund a Roth IRA. I had a young, uh, gentleman that called me one of Danielle's friends and, um, he got some money for college and he was asking me, what should I do with it? Um, similar to this question. And, um, I had actually spoken to him four years ago when he graduated college okay. and he had opened up a brokerage account and he had put a thousand dollars into it and the balance was close to $1,400 now. Nice. So he'd grown 40% there over the go. four years. Um, he had a good diversified mutual fund. It was, um, it had done very well. He'd kind of forgotten about it, but so we talked about that account as a place to put some of his, his graduation money for college. Absolutely. It worked out well for him. That's great. It just shows the power of compounding return. Uh, I love it. it. All right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is how to tip in all situations. I love this because there are some confusing tip scenarios out there and, you know, you don't know what's appropriate or what would be generous in those cases. So this is great. Yeah. So, um, this comes, comes from, uh, Mr. Ramsey. He has a good, good little article here and, you know, kind of a topic that we're going to cover and, um, tipping, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily ruin relationships or divide families, but, um, it's an issue that brings out, you know, all sorts of passionate opinions 
who should you tip and how much should you tip? When's appropriate to leave a bad tip? And is, is the whole idea of tipping flawed in the first place? And if you've ever asked those questions, we've got some, some clarity here. Um, of tipping etiquette. So when you're in doubt of whether to leave a tip or um, always err on the side of generosity. I mean, remember your your tip um, says more about you than the uh, person you're leaving the tip for. So so take a look at some of the, 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 um, the people that you should tip and a general idea. And again, this is a very personal topic, but um, these are some recommendations. Yeah, yeah, these are interesting. Um, the first one here is restaurant servers. Okay, this is the most <clears throat> obvious one here. Um, absolutely, you know, leave the minimum of 15%, they say, preferably 20%. Um, the general rule here is that if you can't afford to leave a good tip, then you, you shouldn't be eating out at a restaurant. You know, most servers are making the neighborhood of like $2 per hour. So they, they live off tips. I mean, this really is part of their salary, part of their income. And so it's it's really an expected part of their pay. And oftentimes, I mean, these are young people that are trying to pay for school or even single mothers. So, I mean, you know, be generous if you can. Yeah, I saw something that went viral. It was actually uh, this last week. And um, this uh, young college student was was working and the tip, the the um, bill was, f- you know, 50 bucks. And the, um, I think it was a, a group of guys that were there gave her $450. Wow. And it, they had some differences in, in culture and beliefs based on kind of their backgrounds. Um, and the, the note on there was, Hey, we may be different, but you know, your beautiful smile and eyes, uh, you know, are very positive and, you know, God bless you. And so it was, I don't know, it was just neat. You know, it was wow. a way to, yeah, it's, way to that's help tre- out someone that's, that's working and, you know, those restaurant servers have to deal with the public, which can be difficult. So no kidding. So try to treat them well. Um, fast casual restaurants. I mean, these are restaurants where your food is prepared and instead of being brought to you, you grab it while you're still on the counter. There's no really hard rule on tipping at, at, at these type of establishments, but you know, leave a dollar or two in the tip jar it doesn't hurt. Again, you know, on the generous side, right. carry out restaurants. This is, I found this interesting. I've always struggled with this a little bit when, when, uh, you know, whether someone brings you the food out to you or you go get it, um, 10% is the rule of thumb. That's interesting. I didn't know you were supposed to tip at all. Yeah. Carry out. Well, you haven't been, te- you've seen, you I don't do carry out very okay. much. All right. Okay. We don't so, either, but, but I occasionally mean, we'll go to Outback and, and I've always had a question. I think I have done 10%. I never felt like, Hey, it should be a 20% tip. But, you know, I didn't know what their hourly wage was, so I just did 10. Or if we get carry out, I'm never the one picking it up. So I'll, I'll claim ignorance on that <laughs> there one. There you go. All right. <laughs> there you go. Delivery people. Yeah, I mean, someone had to bring your pizza or deliver your new furniture. I mean, without them, you'd you'd be hungry with no place to sit, right? So be generous. You know, give them a few dollars, definitely, um, you know, whenever folks are delivering you know, food to you, that kind of stuff. Um, you want to deliver, you want to give them something. I mean, valet, um, you should choose, if you choose to valet instead of parking your own car, you should absolutely tip a few dollars when you pick the car back up, not when they take it. I've had that confusion before. I've, mm. People have asked me before and I've always said, I, I was certain it was when they picked the when you pick the car back up. How about not, the, but the person's not going to be there. It's going to be a different person. It doesn't matter. I mean, they all expect <laughs> it when they when you go to pick the car back up. When they okay. give you the keys, the final time, that's when you tip them. So maybe so. I'll take this and hand hand that little suggestion to them next time I drop my car off. Yeah, right. Just give them this. I was told, you know, <laughs> that's what that's Steve right. said. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, that's uh, 
Yeah, and always get tip change before you're traveling too. Mm, Sometimes absolutely. you can get caught without change. Yep, I'd right, say right. just make it a habit when you when you're gonna travel, go get some change. Yeah, that's right. Um, another one here is um, you know beauty care. You think about massage therapists, hairstylists, barbers. Uh, they should be tipped anywhere from between ten and twenty percent, depending on their profession, professionalism, and um, you know how good the haircut is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That does make a difference. Yeah, if you don't like the haircut, then maybe uh, maybe it's on the lower side of that. Um, you look at cab drivers um, usually get tips, but how about Uber? Um, that's typically built in uh, to that process. But give them a few bucks. Um, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Hotel maids, um, Tammy and I like to to leave a yep. little bit more than a couple of dollars. We usually try to leave like five bucks or something yeah, or a we, couple we, dollars a day. Um, it do, adds up. We do too. I mean, we actually try to leave it not at the end, but we try to leave it every night. Yes, we do that. And yeah. we've found that, you know, they give you great service yes, if you do. do that. I and mean, all of a sudden the service really picks up the next day. That's right. And they're in to clean your room early. So <laughs> expect right. that. Okay. They're going to want to come clean your room if they know there's going to be a five sitting there <laughs> staring them in the face. So that's a good one. All right, movers. Um, we, we talked about this, you know, furniture movers earlier. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, if your movers, your movers do deserve a tip. I mean, your furniture isn't light, you know, and, you know, they have to go through a lot of care not to scratch your furniture when they when they do move it and to take care of it. So the more you, you have, the, the further you move, the more you should probably tip. According to moving.com, the industry standard's 5%. So if your total bill was 500 bucks, you might tip $25 to each of the crew members. Um, so that's an interesting rule of thumb, 5% for moving. Um, wedding officiant, uh, your priest, your pastor, the guy at the courthouse, Elvis perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, regardless of who officiates your wedding, you still need to tip them. Um, if it's not required as part of the wedding fees, consider slipping the efficient, you know, the, the $50 or $100 mm-hmm. at the rehearsal. It's a good place to do it. Yeah. Uh, bartenders, they say a dollar a drink. Um, grocery grocery store bag boys. I mean, a lot of grocery stores today say never, don't. I've never even, I don't, did they, you're talking about like the cashier? <laughs> no, the per, the bag boys. So if they carry the groceries out to the car. Oh, so oh, we, we shop at Walmart. I'm sorry. We, we don't, we, yeah, we, we don't, well, okay. Kathy, Kathy shops at Walmart. Walmart. So yeah, we don't have people carrying out the yeah. car. If you're at a grocery store where they carry your, your groceries to car, you're, you're shopping, you're paying too much for groceries. <laughs> That's what I'm we saying. We did that study a couple of years ago, didn't we? We did. We did. So, but if someone takes your groceries out, I, I used to work at Piggly Wiggly and that was, um, uh, we, we, used to take groceries out and I, I, that was a big that was always fun getting a quarter oh yeah way yeah. back when I'm so sure. good money good good job for somebody that's right for kids tour guides i mean some of these guys especially in the bigger cities they can be a little pushy about tips um and that's a big turn off you know I, i'd say maybe on the low end if they if they're going to push you about it but still i mean they recommend 10 to 15 percent tip for an informative professional tour guide you know, a lot of those tour guides, they simply work for tips. That's their entire mm-hmm, deal mm-hmm. is the tip. So you definitely want to pay them something. If you're going to go on the tour, be yeah. prepared to tip. That's definitely. Right. So the the bottom line here is um, you, you can't go wrong being generous. In fact, um, don't just be generous. If you're in a good financial position, be outrageously generous like the one I, I mentioned to. And, and um, I know we've had some opportunities to do that, and I'm sure you have as well. It's fun to do it. It's, it surprises people. They don't expect it. But it's a neat way to um, to give back and um, you know brighten someone's day. So that is the tips of the tips. 
I like it. Great article. And that will lead us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yes. Yeah, so um, most of you out there probably know we have a Facebook page, and we, we do post um, uh, videos out there of the prescription of the week. Um, so Steve's daughter, Abby, is uh, kindly done the prescription this week, and is talking about internships. And internships are a great way for young people to get their foot in the door um, and make uh, you know connections at at uh, businesses and also um, just see if they like what they're doing. So if you if you have a um, son, uh, daughter, you know, granddaughter, grandson, talk to him about internships. It's a great way um, to um, to get your foot in the door. Get some job experience. Mm-hmm. Looks good on the resume, um, and you make some very valuable contacts that will may likely lead to a job. That's in right. The future. So that's so, a great thing to do. So go check out Abby. She's always entertaining on these videos. <laughs> yeah. So she's on the on Facebook. She'll right? be on Facebook. That's right. right. The Money MD Facebook page. That's so. right. Okay, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 